Physically, Olympic athletes are truly elite. What sets them apart from us and each other? Today, we're on the hunt to find the physical limits. What's the maximum? Drive, drive, drive. This is good. Everything you've got, nice job. But can you keep your maximum up for a whole season? How do you peak? In all sports, you have to figure out certain times of the year when you want to be absolutely at your maximum. And what happens when your maximum isn't good enough anymore? What happens when your maximum is behind you? You get to a point where it's, it's not the same. Hello, my name is Ed Knowles and this is the Olympic Channel podcast. We'll take you right into the lives of the world's leading athletes. We'll learn what they think, how they train, even what they had for breakfast. After all, why not learn from the very best on the planet? The aim is to make you like an Olympian. Faster, higher, stronger. We live the games and so can you. The Olympic Channel podcast, be Olympic. Snowboarder Sven Torgren is a Swedish slopestyle king. He turned pro aged 14 and finished an agonising fourth at Sochi. A bad injury meant he had to sit out Pyeongchang, but before the games, we put him through his paces to find out just how fit a snowboarder can be. Lorena and Cabo is with us now to talk us through how it all went down. Lorena, what tests did Sven go through then? Hi Ed, well we are going to analyse three tests. The first one, body fat, is a test that will essentially analyse what is muscle and what is fat. Okay. The second one, jump. Jump? Yes, jump. <laughs> Just jump as high as he can. Okay. Uh, what is, uh, as you can imagine, something that is very important in snowboarding. And the third one, uh, VO2 maximum. Oh no, that was yes. awful. Yes, imagine. So it's the classic test. It's the maximum amount of oxygen that uh, he can use during intense exercise, basically. <laughs> sure. So we're going to get a nice overall picture of his fitness then. Yes, we are going to speak with uh, Professor Greg White, who is a former Olympian and a leading uh, sports scientist. He was in charge uh, of this test. Sven's DEXA results, are, for me, are really interesting. I think to some extent what they do is they dispel that myth of what, of what snowboarders are. I mean, what we have is an incredibly lean, truly elite athlete. He's got a body fat percentage of 10%. That's right at the very bottom end of the spectrum. He is a big air guy, you know, he's a big jump man. So to be very low in body fat and very high in power and strength is absolutely crucial. And Sven has got that in bundles. So physically, we're already looking at a pretty elite athlete. For context, I think I'm relatively fit. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe not in the same, <laughs> uh, the same class, but I reckon looking at pictures, my body fat percentage is about 15, 20%, so he's super lean. Yes, but clearly just having low body fat isn't going to make you into an elite athlete, right? Sure. So we also took a look at uh, what should be one of Sven's big fitness strengths, and that is the force test, okay? It's like a standing jump, and here is Professor Greg again. 45.72 centimetres, that is a long way to jump up. And to put that into context, that's what we expect to see from volleyball players and basketball players. He's equal or greater than many of the other athletes that we see, particularly team game athletes like rugby players and football players. He is well beyond those. I kind of expected me to be kind of good at this because it, it's something I do a lot. 
I think what I find so impressive about that is the fact that he's genuinely up there with other elite sports people like footballers, volleyball players. Yes, yes, completely. That's right. So, uh, But to get a real look at his fitness, we made him to your favorite, do this brutal VO2 maximum. Yeah, I just thought it was awful. <laughs> no, thank you. So let Professor Greg explain this again. Well, Sven's just about to do an aerobic capacity test, that classic VO2 max test. And it really tells us about the, that endurability, the heart, the lungs, the blood, the muscle. Drive, drive, drive. This is good. Everything you've got, nice job. You always feel like you could give that last shot. I mean, to put it in one word, amazing. 65 milliliters per kilogram per minute. It really is exceptional. And it puts him right in the midst of, of some of the, the most elite team sports players, which is, which is surprising. Interestingly, when you take a look at his blood lactate results, what you see is very high values. And those very high values actually indicate a massive anaerobic capacity. And that tells me one of two things, really. Number one is he's got a fantastic engine underneath the bonnet. But I think what it also demonstrates is that truly elite athletes have an incredible global conditioning, even in areas that aren't necessarily specialist to their performance. I think people kind of underestimate snowboarders because they see us as uh, kids that just have fun and go out there and go home and party. But there's a lot of work behind it. And uh, I think most snowboarders are really strong and healthy. I mean, Sven really, for me, demonstrates where slopestyle snowboard has come from. The, the, the migration towards the truly elite, truly professional athlete. To be an Olympian, not only do you have to be elite amongst the population, you have to be elite amongst your peers. And I think what Sven demonstrates really very well is that he's got everything that you would expect him to have and more. Wow, that is a rigging endorsement there from Professor Greg. Yes, it is really, really impressive. And just to say, you can see how Sven got on in depth in the Olympic Channel series, Anatomy Of, which is on olympicchannel.com right now. And soon, maybe even by the time you hear this, there will be some more dropping. So keep an eye out for all those new episodes too. Especially for this Ukrainian weightlifter, Dimitro Chumak. Oh, okay. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Lorena. I should keep an eye out. So I had a little think about what would be my maximum slash worst nightmare in terms of physical challenges. And the answer, after a bit of thinking, of course, was the insane obstacles in American Ninja Warrior. Now, if you haven't seen it, it's a show where there's a giant, like, kids' playground, but way, way harder. Think monkey bars, but beefed up to insane levels. Josh Levin is a rock climber. He bossed. American Ninja Warrior, although he didn't actually go on to win it. He did, though, make it look very easy. With sport climbing being an Olympic sport at Tokyo 2020 and also at the Youth Olympic Games in Buenos Aires, Levin is one to keep an eye out for certain. Our man, Andrew Binner, went to meet Josh in Los Angeles and he started off by asking whether it's possible to stay at your maximum all year round. I think in, in all sports you have to figure out certain times of the year when you want to be absolutely at your maximum potential, maximum physical ability to peak. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think it's it's healthy to go through cycles and understand where your body's at for times of the year. Um, 
I think for myself, like I would try and pick maybe one or two or three events out of the year that I want to be like absolute peak performance for. And especially with a sport that's again, like as versatile as we're talking about as climbing. And then more recently I've been involved in American Enjoyer. That's been an absolutely incredible experience, not just for the, the athletic abilities of, of these people that I've gotten to train with and everything, uh, but the community as well. I think climbing and Ninja Warrior have very similar attributes, but the communities themselves are, are just so incredible as well and so diverse. And one of the things I, I value again about Ninja Warrior is that it's not just climbers who are into it. There's people from all sorts of different backgrounds from, from all different walks of life. And what I think attracts people to something like American Ninja Warrior specifically is overcoming obstacles uh, in general. So I will point out that when we were at the climbing gym today, uh, Josh was interrupted a couple of times because a few climbers there uh, recognized him off Ninja Warrior. Oh, goodness. And he had to pose for some photos, which he did admirably. Um, Thank you. But in, in terms of Ninja Warrior, was one of the draws of compete? I think you've competed for two seasons on it. Yep. Was one of the draws about going into it, knowing that you want to compete in the Olympics as a climber and to test yourself against other superhumans and on a big stage, um, did you think that would help prepare you in some way for the tests that lie ahead? Sure, yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it's very different, I think. The the draw for me of competing on Ninja Warrior was very different than the draw of competing in the Olympics for climbing is, I think. Um, but they have very, very similar attributes in a lot of ways as well. Uh, both are on very large stages and you, you're competing not just, you know, for a small demographic of people, but it's a, it's a much larger, much bigger idea of competing for something that's like much more of a it's it's not just competing for yourself anymore it's competing at a much larger stage and so the difference though i feel like is for ninja warrior it's much less about you know trying to get the highest rank or like winning a competition it's much more about collaborating together with others to overcome obstacles. How important is rest and recuperation in performing your best? <laughs> great question. Um, I think this is actually a great question for kind of like Josh of the future. Like it's something that I'm currently learning more about because as a, as a younger athlete, you don't really think about rest and recuperation nearly as much as when you do as your more experienced athlete. Um, and now that I am, I've, 24 years old, I've graduated from university, I'm taking the time right now to pursue climbing and enjoy as a, a full-time profession. Um, rest and recuperation is something that I have learned that it's something that I know very little about. Uh, and I definitely accept that this is something that I want to delve really, really deep into, something that I'm learning more and more about every single time I go and like listen to a podcast or, or meet with somebody who is much more experienced or knowledgeable than I am in rest or recuperation, where that comes down to like changing your diet, doing different types of like uh, recovery, stretching, uh, exercise, um, you know, cryotherapy. There's so many different ways of helping your body re recover, relax, and prepare for the next exercise that as a younger, like maybe teenage athlete, you don't think about very much. Um, and especially having come into it at the age where I'm still young enough to feel like I can you know, recover relatively quickly, but old enough to understand that if I don't treat my body correctly, I will get injured. 
Um, I've had several injuries in my climbing career. We've may have mentioned earlier, I tore my labrum in my left shoulder. I broke my left hand at a competition recently. Tell us more about, I mean, that was a terrible injury <laughs> that took you, took you out the game for yeah. about a year when you were kind of at your peak of doing it. True. Um, tell us about the, the cycle. Uh, what, first of all, why did that happen? Sure. And <laughs> second of all, what impact did that have on you mentally and physically? Sure, yeah, yeah. So again, we're coming back to the whole recovery, recuperation, everything. It's something that, again, I, as a younger athlete, I didn't really take quite as seriously. And I, I wasn't as uh, appreciative of the fact that I could just get up and do everything all over again the next day with zero consequences or zero sleep, etc. <laughs> um, and again, it also comes down to thinking about the things that you can control. So within the realm of the things that are within your power to control uh, comes the whole rest, recuperation, nutrition aspect of and, and recovery aspect of sports. And really delving into that, um, I first got into that, of course, after my shoulder injury. And what ended up happening was in 2013, 14, uh, I was really ramping up my training. I was, I was leaving the youth categories. I was pers uh, pursuing more open and professional competitions. And I was getting really excited about American Ninja Warrior because I was about to be old enough to be eligible to compete. Um, so just through straight up overuse and, and uh, neglect of my body and, uh, improper use of resting positions while climbing, um, I ended up tearing my labrum on my left shoulder and, you know, looking back, you know, there's all these different ways you can prevent that from happening, but I choose to look forward and say, okay, I put that behind myself. I had the surgery. I've made a full recovery. Um, and really think about, okay, for the future to make sure this doesn't happen to me again, what are some things I can do right now in terms of recovery, rest, rehabilitation, nutrition, all these kind of things to make sure that I am as prepared and well-rested as possible so that I can go out there, perform at my maximum ability, but then take the time to make sure my body is going to make a full recovery so I can do it all over again the next day. And did you take any of those learnings into your career now? I mean, I know you've been super, super successful and you haven't really had that too many, too many lows in it. But if you ever go through a period of rut in the sport or like a, you know, a bit of a trough and you're not performing your best, are there things you can do like going for a hike or whatever it is to sort of re-energize yourself a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I think in, in any area of life, it's important to, to, maybe like take a step back from it once in a while. And this is true in, in my own life in climbing and Ninja Warrior in engineering, like just taking a step back to, to kind of take a little bit of breath, a little bit of a mellow point and think about, you know, the bigger picture. It's, it's, Oh man, I feel so bad right now. Cause I got a bad grade in that one exam or uh, my project is not going well or, or something along the lines of like, I uh, really stressed out about this Ninja Warrior event. Like if I fall, then like, I don't think I'll, I feel like my reputation will go down and all these things, like it may seem like the most important thing in that moment. And especially maybe within your circle of friends or community that you're involved in. So take Ninja Warrior, for example, mm -hmm. like uh, a time when you've trained your hardest, you put absolutely everything yep. on the line, you've, <laughs> you've tried your best and did very well and ultimately in the end failed. Your, your way to think about it is rather than that sucks, I put everything on the line, your, your way of thinking about it is rather I was lucky to be here in the first place. Absolutely. And just keeping that perspective. Sure, yeah. And I think <clears throat> Ninja Warrior especially, like they they do a really good job of kind of 
uh, helping people see the big picture. Like it's not just about overcoming like this one obstacle that maybe is stymied you before or you slipped up on. It's about overcoming obstacles in life and and understanding that it's all just a part of a journey and we're all in this together. And you know if we can all work together to help overcome these obstacles, that's much better than you know yourself beating those obstacles with no other assistance or not helping anyone else out. Many thanks to Josh and also to Andrew. Now, if you want to see more of people who break the Olympic mould, then you should check out our Olympic Channel original series, Game Breakers. We've got how Spain's Carolina Marin wrecked Asia's dominance of badminton, how Ashley Johnson became not only the first African-American woman to compete for the USA's water polo team, but also got crowned MVP. She was awesome. If you like this, the podcast, then you'll probably like that series too. Now, if you're looking for a person who has pushed it to the maximum for his entire career, then look no further than three-time world champion surfer Mick Fanning. Not only has he won it all, but he's also survived a shark attack during a competition in 2015. But now the 36-year-old is retiring. Fanning has pushed himself to the limits physically, but that's not the reason behind his decision to call it a day. And with surfing making its debut at Tokyo 2020, we sent our man Peter Morris, who began by asking him about the motivations that's led him to leaving the sport. You know, you get to a point where it just doesn't, it's, it's not the same, you know. You, you, you try and get yourself up and ready for heats, but um, yeah, it's just, you know, instead of getting up and going training, you're sleeping in and, you know, you just feel feel yourself just sort of drift away a bit. And um, look, I've had a lot of fun on tour, don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, I don't know, it's just something upstairs just says, okay, now it's time. You know, people might go through 2015 and, and say that was it, but it actually wasn't. I, I was thinking about it before then and, um, and yeah, just it was just, for me, it was just, building up the courage to actually try and come up with the you know the right time to do it but um yeah it's it feels right now and obviously last year going back and and doing a full year as well I sort of ticked off any questions that I had and um yeah now ready to go and go and enjoy some new adventures. Now you say you're retiring because you can't put in 100% anymore. Is that a physical thing or a, or a mental thing? I mean, what, what, what do you put that down to? Uh, just mental. You know, you, there's so many mornings where I wake up and just fire up and, and yeah, now I wake up and it takes me a while to get the engines running. <laughs> you've, you've been pretty vocal in the past with your support for surfing in the Olympics. Were you ever tempted to try and hang around for Tokyo? Um, look, I, I, for me... You know, it would have been a dream to go to the Olympics and, and compete in the Olympics. You know, growing up as a kid, it's, it's the one sporting thing that every sporting kid dreams of. And, um, you know, I, being a runner as a kid, I, I uh, yeah, I, I love the idea of it. But, um, yeah, look, Japan, the waves in Japan are not my forte, unfortunately. You know, if I was 19, I would have been fighting for it. But, uh, yeah, at the moment, I'm probably too old and too slow to surf those waves. How do you think uh, the um, being in the Olympics uh, will benefit the sport, and, and vice versa? Look, you can do two things. It can, you know, if it's if it's tiny little waves in at Chiba, then it could hinder the sport. But I think people just are so infatuated with surfing and just the lifestyle of it that it'll, it'll do really well. Um, you know, and and the 
the calibre of surfing in these days is just incredible. So, um, yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that does really well. And But, you know, even just for someone to go and win the first ever surfing Olympic gold medal, you know, that's incredible. Now, the Founders' Cup at Kelly Slater Surf Branch uh, is coming up in May. Um, can you describe, for those who don't know what it's like, why, why it's uh, going to be different to your normal surfing event? Well, you know, first and foremost, we're in a, we're in a pool. <laughs> we're in a, um, you know, a couple of football field length pool and, and you know exactly when the waves are coming. The waves are always exactly the same. And whereas the ocean, no two waves are ever the same. Um, and, but, you know, I'm sort of, I'm sort of torn on, on what to do on that side of things. Um, you know, I think for something as significant as the Olympics, uh, you know, and only being four years, you know, for people to be able to train in, in those conditions, um, I think it would be incredible. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to see it in the wave pool, but then I'm also happy to see it in the ocean. Thanks to Peter and to Mick as well. Mick is actually competing in a few more events, including that one he mentioned with Kelly Slater. Kelly Slater's built this huge artificial wave machine in his backyard, basically, which has got all the pro surfers like excited and there's a bit of debate about artificial waves and waves naturally happening in the normal sea and whether what should be used in competitions. Just before we go, I wanted to ask you a few questions. Have you took it beyond the maximum and ended up hurt? Or do we need to be pushing the limits all the time in order to achieve our best? Can you ever find a balance between pushing yourself and pushing yourself too far? Get in touch with at Olympic Channel, slide into our DMs, we don't mind, Insta or Twitter, or just leave us a comment on Facebook, we'll find you. One shout out to do as well, just before the end, shout out to Troy on Twitter who sent over some suggestions, noted Troy. And if you like the podcast, do us a favour, subscribe. It helps us out and you won't miss your weekly podcast fix. And if you can write a nice review and leave us five stars where you can, that helps too. But that really is it for now. Until next time.